Good afternoon, universe, and welcome to another episode of Cross Defense, your weekly dose of worldview demolition, breaking down the stronghold bad opinions and false notions of the enemy, and setting up shop with the mighty fortress of our Lord's Word. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, and we're on a journey of imagination. Yes, I said imagination, into the dogma of Christian truth, believing the dogma is not some dusty old book sitting on a shelf that old men came up with, no. It is the fact that when God speaks, he does so, imbuing that word with the power to regenerate minds and hearts, to, to make us dead men alive again and capable of speaking it back. St. Paul says this when he encourages Christians to hunger for the truth, because doctrine is life, it's food, yeah? To, to watch our life and doctrine closely. And to be aware that the times we live in are those in which people will not put up with sound doctrine. This isn't okay. They are chasing after teachers to teach what their itching ears would rather hear, to, to feed their passions. But you, Christian, you have something different. You have this regenerate mind, which drives you to hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught. And so encourage others. To join me on this journey today... Making our way still through Dr. Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics, Volume 1, we have on the line Pastor Andrew Preuss. He's pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa, and Pastor Adam Philippek. He is pastor at Holy Cross Lutheran Church and Emmanuel Lutheran Church, both in Lidgerwood, North Dakota. Gentlemen, it's good to have you back on again. We're picking up on page 87 of Peepers, Christian Dogmatics, Volume 1, just a little ways into this distinction that Pastor Preuss and I got to talk about last week with, with another brother pastor, between primary and secondary fundamental doctrines, which is kind of a crazy idea. I mean, we, we already struggled a little bit in the previous weeks with, is there such a thing as a fundamental and a non-fundamental doctrine? I mean, if you believe it's all true, how can something not be fundamental? And Peeper's answer is, well, it doesn't immediately impact your salvation. And then, well, once you've done that, okay, blow your mind that way. Now you have within the fundamentals, those things that do immediately impact your salvation, you have uh, first primary and then secondary. And these secondaries is where he really is going to get into something that throughout this series, the last year, we have touched on here and there. But he really is going to start talking about this thing called the felicitous inconsistency. That the secondary fundamental doctrine is one that somebody can't deny if they're consistent without denying all of Christianity. But you can actually be inconsistent. And so deny a secondary fundamental doctrine and in your inconsistency, not deny the primary. Now, if none of that made sense, we're going to try to make it make sense today. That, that's the goal with this. But guys, go ahead and take some turns. Respond to what I've said so far. I mean, are we just splitting hairs here? Uh, Pastor Preuss, why don't you hit it first? Uh, no, we're, this is it's very helpful uh, for those who want to be faithful to the Word of God in all of its articles, um, but maybe are, are a bit confused uh, when they hear, for example, uh, someone from a Baptist church confess that Jesus Christ, true God and man, saved them from their sins by dying on the cross, and they think, well, well, they're Christian. So then what's the big deal about baptism and the Lord's Supper um, if they don't get that right? And uh, this distinction... Uh, of the felicitous inconsistency allows us to, on the one hand, say, sure, there are those who are in other denominations who 
believe certain things that are are incorrect. Um, but on the other hand, uh, by calling that an inconsistency, um, you know, we we we're, we're affirming both that yeah, sure, they can still be Christians, but on the other hand, they are not. Um, you know, if they were consistent in in rejecting these articles of faith, like baptism, Lord's Supper, free will, uh, the bondage of the will, uh, that kind of stuff, that only the Holy Spirit brings us to faith, if they were consistent, then they would end up denying the faith. So it kind of shows how it affirms that all of our doctrines united together in one body, and yet God is so gracious that when we are inconsistent in ourselves, he still is gracious to give us faith in Christ. Mm, yeah. Uh, Pastor, Pastor Philippeck. You still there? Did I lose him? I might have lost him. Uh-oh. That's not a good thing. Group, we'll do that. And, uh, well, it's just going to be you you and me, Pastor Price, here for a little while. I might be able to get him uh, when we go to break back on. So, uh, now, now I lost you. You actually got me wanting to, to talk, and then I didn't because I wanted to let uh, Pastor Philippeck go. But, uh, oh man, where did it go? The, the, oh, this was it. So, so what you're saying is that technically, uh, if a Baptist says, look, baptism doesn't forgive me of my sins, that doesn't necessarily stop God from forgiving their sins with baptism, right? I mean, is that kind of the idea here? Yeah, yeah. So that the, uh, our faith is founded on the Word of God. And the Word of God is not founded on our faith. And that's very comforting for us, um, because it shows us that it doesn't rely on us. It's also very terrifying to the, to the old man. Um, and so there's both, a, there's both a warning as well as a comfort. And Peter gets more into the warning later on, um, you know, where he, he says that this is no reason to, to take this lightly, to take doctrine lightly, just because God is so gracious to save us, even though we don't understand everything. Um, and, uh, it, you know, but at the same time, it's a great comfort. Um, one, this, another distinction uh, that might be helpful um, is the distinction be, that's very similar to this, is the distinction between doctrine and theology. So theology, Pieper describes as, a, as, a, as an aptitude, a habit, um, a quality that God gives to us as we read his word. And it's something that grows um, within us as we continue to learn his word. Doctrine, though, is that truth, eternal truth, revealed in Christ through the Holy Scriptures, which is true, stands true as the foundation, whether we understand it really well or not. And uh, and so so that's kind of the that that distinction goes well with this with this with this in, inconsistency because it teaches us that the doctrine is true, and we build on that doctrine and God by His grace helps us understand that doctrine more. So going back to with the Baptist, who who doesn't believe that baptism saves, well, you don't need to panic. Um, on the one hand, that uh, okay, well, wow, he's not a Christian. No, you don't need to make that immediate conclusion. You have room to work with him and be patient with him and explain him that well maybe he he thinks this because he thinks of baptism as just an external work, you know. And so I think it allows us to kind of take a step back and humble ourselves before the scriptures as we approach this stuff. Well, because there is there is sort of a point where, and maybe I'm going off the deep end a little bit here, but but there's a point where I know that my sinful flesh 
doesn't actually believe things it should believe, right? And yet I have this faith within me as well, but at any given moment in the day, I may or may not be putting all my trust into, you know, Jesus and maybe putting a whole lot more trust into me and my idols, right? And and so this is sort of like the safeguards. Like, you know, God's working through all of this. Does that mean the idolatry is okay? The doubts are okay? The false teachings are okay? No, of course not. But like, ultimately, Jesus is doing the saving here. Now, this is the thing, though. It's why these primary five primary doctrines like once you deny those right sin personal of jesus work of jesus once you deny those now you actually have denied jesus doing the work <laughs> right yeah, exactly. and so and so you end up in in a totally different place i think we got pastor Philippic back on uh pastor Philippic, are you there I am. Excellent. It's good to hear your voice. You, I, you're kind of probably falling into the middle of this, though, without knowing what we've been talking about. Uh, all we've been throwing around so far is where we're going with the felicitous inconsistency as an idea. So uh, to kind of bring you in, why don't I go ahead and start reading? We're on the top of page 87, Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics. And Pieper says this. He says, in view of this relation between the primary and secondary fundamental articles, one should exercise due restraint in judging the personal state of faith of those individuals who deny the secondary articles. And this is everything that's coming later. So so we were just talking about, Pastor Preuss said, you know, you have someone who is a Baptist. They deny baptismal regeneration. Scripture's clear about that. Not only that, but it's fundamental. It's, you know, this is a place to sink your faith into. But whoa, 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 before you start saying they're not Christians... Use a little due restraint. Why? Here's what he's going to say is why you should do that. On the one hand, it must be said that because of the close connection between the secondary and primary fundamental articles, one who denies the former would, for the sake of consistency, also have to deny the latter. That is, if you deny baptismal regeneration, you deny salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, because of the work of Christ alone. If you're consistent. At least that's our position that we're saying here, right? Uh, to illustrate, whoever denies that God can forgive sins through baptism and the Lord's Supper on the ground that these are only external means must, to be consistent, also deny that God forgives sins through the word of his gospel, because that, too, is an external means. Another example, one who denies the communication of attributes. This is uh, uh, something that we believe about the incarnation of Jesus uh, in Christ on the basis of the axiom that's just the saying that the finite is not capable of the infinite, which is this is a Calvinist position uh, that that Jesus body can't actually do things like be in the Lord's Supper because it's a human body. And yeah, he, he's God, but he he can't actually be enough God to be able to do that without destroying his humanity because his humanity can't hold all the God there. Now, they probably wouldn't say it like that, but it's kind of the idea. If they say that, if he is consistent in his reasoning, he'll also deny the communication of the person of the Son of God to the human nature. He'll deny the incarnation altogether of the Son of God. However, and this is where he's going, right? We meet here with a felicitous inconsistency, a happy mistake, a happy lack of logic, not only among laymen, but also among learned theologians. So I'm going to go ahead and stop it right there and kind of give you a chance to jump in, uh, Pastor Philippek. Yeah, on any of those topics, I mean, all of that's worth going back over again. Just defining the communication of, of attributes or, or, or the dealing with the incarnation, the position there, but then also how this, this inconsistency allows them to retain their faith in Christ. But if they were consistent, they would actually deny it. So uh, where, where do you want to go on that? I want to go actually just in the first couple of um, 
sentences here, and I think it's very important, and maybe you'd already pointed this out there. I know I listened to Pastor Preuss's um, opening discussion on this, and I was going to jump in with a, a similar comment here. I think this is very, very important to think of felicitous inconsistency as existing among, and this is the third line of, of page 87 today, those individuals. And that is key to our discussion, because it is an, sort of an individual felicitous consistency. This is not a corporate dogmatic position of a church, and I think that's very, very poignant that we understand that as individuals, we have this propensity, right? We have this nature, this fallen sinful nature that corrupts what God has created as good. I mean, this is the first article of the Formula of Concord, that it's still God's creation, but it is, it is in fact corrupted. It is, it is fraught with sin, and that sin which clings to us makes us consistently inconsistent, if you will. Yeah. We can hold a, a particular confession of Jesus Christ crucified and risen for the forgiveness of sins. We can hold a confession about, say, sin, but when it comes to, for instance, that same personal union of Christ, the two natures of Christ, he is both God and man, being applied categorically, consistently, and logically across something like the Lord's Supper, which is the Calvinistic discussion here, that it is absolutely inconsistent, that to deny the fact that Christ cannot actually physically be present in these elements of bread and wine, that the finite cannot contain the infinite, if you will, is, if you push it logically to the end, a denial of the Incarnation. Because if, if something like a per- perishable, like bread and wine, can't contain an infinite, all-powerful God, then how can a frail, weak human body? But he allows for individual, and I think this is also key, laymen and learned theologians, right? We all are sinners. It's not like, oh, well, I've become somehow erudite, and I'm well-learned, and everybody else is not, and so I can't make any errors. No, we're, we're always a fallible, sinful man in need of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Price? Yeah, I, I like that. Um, that you know, the, I like that as well, where he, he emphasizes the individual's. Um, which, as as you pointed out, also can include the professional theologians, um, and not just the the ignorant uh, or the less learned uh, layman. Um, to kind of expand uh, more on that, that that concept of individuals, that's a, it's a, it's a helpful distinction to make, especially when you consider um, how we speak in the Augsburg Confession. We condemn the Anabaptists and others. We don't just condemn some abstract teaching. We condemn the Anabaptists for teaching that the Holy Spirit comes to us um, by, uh, by our own preparations um, and, and measures apart from the, uh, the, the external word and sacraments. Um, now, does that mean that every single individual uh, who is from an Anabaptist background, we are going to write off immediately? No, and that's where the that's where the felicitous inconsistency comes in. So while we do, as a general statement, condemn uh, the the church body because of their doctrine, if we insofar as we are identifying the church body with their doctrine, as we should, um, and it's false doctrine, then we condemn it, um, and and we thereby condemn them. But on a case by case, individual basis, that doesn't mean that we go around. Um, you know, condemning everyone we see. And this, this has very practical implications to it. Um, uh, you know, so if, if, you, if you're talking to your Catholic friend 
you don't want to simply drop the bomb that the Pope is the Antichrist, for example. You know, and he gets into this even more with non-fundamental, uh, you know, articles, uh, you know, where, where you, know, you, you don't, it kind of, it really is a useful way to sort of guide you on where the conversation begins and where it can continue and sort of how you approach this. Um, because you don't, on the one hand, we do want to be very, very firm against the false doctrine uh, and the false teachers who are teaching this false doctrine, um, but um, at the same time understand that when you talk to individuals, you need to treat them as individuals and not just prejudge them. I, I always thought, I mean, I didn't quite understand it, but now you, you really clarified it for me. So the time that I was at that Catholic wedding, and they're like, if anyone has a reason the two should not be married, you know, speak now or forever, hold your peace. And I stood up and I shouted, the Pope's the Antichrist, we're in a, a temple of Hades. And then they all, like, chased me out of the room. Now I know why, right? That was just a little too much. I should have waited for a better timing uh, to bring yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... I want to go back again, though, and kind of – I feel like we need to tie a little better bow on this uh, finite, not capable of the infinite thing and then apply it to the individual. So so you're a Calvinist, and you're taught that the reason Jesus is not physically at least, right, locally, orally received as bread and wine in the Lord's Supper is because his humanity is, is in heaven – Right. And his humanity as a finite thing cannot contain the infinite God and therefore cannot be omnipresent. And you say, okay, sure, that makes sense. Okay. So that's what you believe. Right. And that makes sense. But then what we're saying, this felicitous inconsistency thing is that, well, if you were consistent, you would actually say then the the guy sitting in heaven isn't God either fully. Right. Because his body can't contain it. And so you've denied the incarnation. But you get to that point on your own. You're not in a conversation with the Lutheran. You're just actually on your own. You're being taught about the incarnation and how Jesus is the incarnate God. And it never crosses your mind to say the the finite cannot contain the infinite. Jesus isn't really God. You're inconsistent, but it never even is something you're aware of. You simply are continuing to believe in the incarnation of the Son of God as Jesus of Nazareth, who died and rose for you. Right. Even though at another place in your theology that is terribly important you are denying it by something which should deny the central doctrine as well um and and we're saying not that we like this (laughs) but we recognize it yeah and that this happens to individuals across denominations this happens to to catholics who are in fact christians it happened to baptists who are in fact christians when do you cross the line to not be a christian this is back to that primary fundamental doctrine, right? Uh, those five things, and I listed three of them earlier, uh, you know, justification, or what is it? Sin, Jesus person, Jesus uh, work, justification by faith, and the resurrection of the body. Uh, once you get rid of those, now you're off the deep end. Now you're in the land of the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses, who we would say are non-Trinitarian and therefore not, not part of the, the Christian church. Yeah? So uh, either of you guys, I guess, Philippic first, you want to respond to any of that? I think your distinctions there are certainly important with um, the felicitous inconsistency. And I would even maybe add on the other side, someone can be taught something in a Calvinistic church, and then when they step up to the altar and they hear the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the verba, spoken, this is my body, this is my blood, all of the teaching that they have been um, taught can, by the grace of God, sort of also be put out the window, and they can, they can, by the grace of God, hear those words and believe them 
rightly, even though it's inconsistent with the theology taught therein. But that's that's the power of the Word of God at work, and that's, that's, that's the grace of all of this, is that on both sides of the coin, what you had mentioned and what I had mentioned right now, there is the gracious, merciful work of our Lord Jesus Christ putting to death the sinful flesh and arising as a new man to actually believe and trust in the Word of our Lord, and that is how anyone is saved, because nobody can fully comprehend or understand the sum totality of every piece of doctrine and how it all links together. I mean, even the most learned theologians, we're too sinful, we're too fallible for that. And so we must always return to the foot of the cross, be students of our Lord, hear his word, receive his gifts as he intended them in accordance with his words spoken to us. So like, you know, I mean, take this the right way. A Roman Catholic technically can't believe Jesus is their savior because they think they're their own saviors, and yet they all do, not all, but most of them do, right? And so they're still Christians. So more of this on the other side of this break. Hi, this is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. Are you among the millions of Americans living with chronic pain? If so, you may think prescription opioids are the solution. Truth is, opioids only mask the pain, and they come with serious side effects, from nausea to withdrawal symptoms to overdose. There is another choice, physical therapy. Physical therapists treat pain through movement and exercise. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com. This public service announcement is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The prophet Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. So again, I mean, technically, if you are a Roman Catholic, you believe that you must justify yourself. It's, it's kind of there in the catechism. It's kind of why there are Lutherans. It's because you, you, you kicked us out for, for believing that Jesus alone justifies. And yet, you can be a Roman Catholic and believe Jesus justifies you. In fact, many probably do. And this is called a felicitous, a happy inconsistency. We were talking about this before the break and also talking about uh, the Lord's Supper and Pastor Philippic, you had uh, used an example of, of that taking place in the Calvinist or in the Reformed Church. And then you and I were talking between the break and you wanted to make something clear. So I'm going to throw it right back at you and let you clarify. I did. And it goes back to our first point about individuals. 
What I'm speaking to is individuals here and the regeneration that happens of the sinful nature through the proclamation of the word of Christ. What I am not saying, and what you cannot get out of what I said, and because we kind of got cut out of time, is simply this, that somehow um, Calvinist churches have the Lord's Supper. No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that a someone who has an inconsistency, an illogical um, clinging of the flesh, sinful idea of something and doesn't carry it through all the way, that's simply by the grace of God. Someone can hear the word of the Lord despite what they taught, despite what their sin wants them to believe, and Christ can actually teach them through his word and regenerate them to say, yes, that word is true. This is his body. This is his blood. But I'm applying this on an individual level, and I'm not saying it unilaterally concerning corporate doctrines. Pastor Price, you want a chance to jump in? Uh, yeah, no, that's uh, that's a good. This again is uh, uh, is exactly what Peter's trying to accomplish here. On the one hand, he wants to uh, make make it clear that we're not uh, making a blanket statement about each individual, um, and uh, but on the other hand, the, the reason why we have to make this distinction in the first place is because we take our doctrine seriously and that we acknowledge that there are serious errors in these other Christian denominations. So, you know, if we didn't think that the Lord's Supper was that big of a deal on, on you know, that what, if we didn't think that whether we uh, agree on the Lord's Supper or agree on baptism or agree on you know uh, the 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 working of the Holy Spirit um, against the the bound sinful will and all that kind of stuff. We didn't, if we didn't agree on all these things, we wouldn't we wouldn't have to make these distinctions between primary and fundamental. Or if we didn't think that these things were were necessary to agree on, we we wouldn't even need to make these distinctions of of, of secondary and and primary fundamental or uh, uh, the the solicitous inconsistency. Um, we would just simply say, yeah, sure, you know, that's your interpretation, this is my interpretation. So so what Keeper is trying to do here is, is uh, on the one hand, show some charity to those Christian individuals who have been misled, um, but on the other hand, still affirm the, the, the doctrine as true and the importance of holding to the true doctrine in all her articles. So the rest of the paragraph is, is quite long. We're going to keep reading here a little bit. So he says, Since the fall, man's logic is, as we note again and again, in a bad way. I love that. <laughs> Our logic's in a bad way. And the heat of controversy plays further havoc with it. That's with our logic. And this prompted Luther to temper his judgment concerning Nestorius, who was a, a late early church heretic, very similar in some of his teaching on the Incarnation and, uh, to, to Calvinism, actually. Um, Luther says, Though it necessarily and logically follows from Nestorius's teaching that Christ is a mere man and two like different persons, Nestorius did not mean to teach that. The crude, unlearned man did not see that he was proposing the impossible when he honestly held that Christ is God and man in one person and at the same time would not ascribe uh, the idiomata of the... I don't even know what that Latin is. The, the attributes? Is that attributes again? The attributes, yeah. yeah. The attributes of the two natures of the person of Christ. 
He wants to hold the first statement as true, but he will not grant that which follows from the first statement. Thus, he shows that he does not really understand what he denies. Now, Pieper again says he's talking about Luther having charity in that statement. Luther adduces further instances of the same kind, for such unreason is not rare in the world. The Roman doctrine of the mass overthrows directly, per se, uh, the foundation of the faith. That's what I was saying earlier around the break. Uh, Grace alone. Nevertheless, there are those who believe in the Mass and still believe in grace alone. Luther writes in his dissertation of the abuse of the Mass, 1521, quote, No doubt it still happens to many pious Christians that in the simple faith of their heart they observe the Mass and regard it as a sacrifice, but because they do not before God rely on the sacrifice, yea, hold that all they do is sin and cleave solely to the pure mercy of God, they are preserved so that they do not perish with this error. And in the year 1539, Luther says in his book of the councils and the churches, There are today many great lords and scholars who confess freely and firmly that our doctrine of faith, which justifies without merit, by pure grace, is true. Yet they resent the thought that therefore monasticism, the worship of the saints, and the like, must be discarded as of no value, though logic compels that conclusion. For no man can be justified except by faith. It follows, then, that one cannot be justified by the monastic life. Now, again, there's a lot there, and he's using a couple of different examples. But the main point is, kind of what I was saying earlier, if you consistently believe in grace alone, it's going to lead to certain conclusions. There are those Christians who don't get to those conclusions, but they still believe in grace alone. Um, you guys want to arm wrestle for who goes first? Well, it, it, it shows us to be it, it teaches us to be patient to be patient and uh and that a conviction of the truth is not a product of the law it's a product of the gospel mm. now this doesn't this isn't to say that we don't uh, affirm the law um of course we do but as saint paul says you know we affirm the law by faith and uh and so this is something that you can't you can't manipulate this uh, this you you can't force this this doesn't mean obviously that you uh that, that, that you say that, well, it, it doesn't matter, we can still give the Lord's Supper to someone who hasn't fully learned this stuff and accepted what the Scriptures teach um, in, 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 all of, uh, in all of the articles of faith. Uh, but at the same time, it also teaches us uh, that we are not to be the manipulators, and we are to be patient, we're, and, and we're not to try to uh, get people to be uh, members of our churches just by gimmicks and entertainment and me new measures and methods and all that kind of stuff, but by patiently teaching the, the Word of God and praying that the Holy Spirit would work faith and a joy in the Gospel. If you like talking, if, if you talk theology because, uh, and, you, and you affirm that baptism saves and the Lord's Supper is the body and blood of Jesus uh, and, and all this stuff, simply because you want to be accepted by your other friends, are Lutheran, then that's that's a problem. But if you accept these things, um, because then you're under the law. But if you accept these things because you know that they give you what Jesus has delivered and Jesus has won for you, um, then it's a joy to confess these things, and that's where it should be coming from. Philippeck, it is by pure grace and mercy that any of us are saved. That is, that is the sweet gospel. I, nothing in thy hand I bring, simply to thy cross I claim. And this is, this is Pastor Preuss's 
argument here is that we have actually the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ, and he alone saves, he alone justifies, he alone forgives sinners. And so those who are inconsistent um, in terms of salvation, this is very much a charitable move to simply say that, you know what, you may not even know that you are inconsistent. Your logic might be so flawed and is so flawed that you can't even see the following through of this. But at the end of days, still, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, shall be saved, and he shall raise them up on the last day. Right? This is, this is John 6. Everyone who looks at the Son, everyone who believes in him has eternal life. But this is, again, on a case-by-case basis. And so the danger here, the danger here, in a case-by-case basis, I will simply say this before I say the danger, it allows for conversations between Christians. It allows us to hold one another accountable to the word of our Lord when we see an inconsistency and to speak to that, speak to that a word of law and speak to that a word of gospel. It allows for pastoral care and admonition and correction of a brother when they're wrong. But the danger here is that we tend to hear this in our American culture as, well, then if felicitous inconsistency exists and people are saved purely by the grace of, and mercy of God and, and there are people who are inconsistent in their logic and inconsistent in their doctrine and yet they can still be saved, um, then, hey, man, it doesn't matter what we teach. It doesn't matter what you believe. As long as you believe in Jesus alone, it's all good. And Peter's going to come and say, well, wait a minute. These differences do matter. They, they are very important, and they are very important because they affect the core teachings of our gospel, of the doctrine of our Lord Jesus Christ, of the person and work of Christ, and his work in your life. Um, but he does recognize this charitably, that there's this inconsistency, and that it's only by the pure mercy of God that we're saved. So he's going to get to the point where he's pointing out, as, as you say, that you can abuse this. And... What it's reminded me of a little bit here is 1 Corinthians 13. You know, love is patient, love is kind. If I have not love, I am, I am nothing. Well, well, that can be abused in such a way as to say, for the sake of love, we have to give up doctrine. For the sake of love, we can't really teach what we actually believe or what the scriptures say, because we have to love. Love trumps all, right? Love triumphs, love wins, whatever, however you want to say it. And, and that's a problem, because love does not destroy truth. True love loves the truth. It is zealous for the truth. So he's going to come back to that. But before we go too far past it, though, I, I don't want to, I don't want to play sides and ignore the fact that there is certainly a strain of the Lutheran ethos, and this isn't just a, a contemporary Missouri Synod thing. This, this is you can trace this all the way through our history. There's a strain of Lutheran thinking, or the way that good Lutherans have their flesh grab hold of the doctrine, where we use the doctrine not as a means of furthering the gospel or because it is the gospel to us, but as a, as a law unto itself, uh, for its own sake, as a, as a hammer for bashing those who are against us. And I, I don't, I'm not saying that this is bad Lutherans that do this. I think this is the most natural thing as a good Lutheran to do is that I, I love the doctrine so much. I love Jesus alone as my salvation, the grace of this truth for faith. I love it so much that somebody comes along and they say, I'm a Lutheran too, but I don't buy this piece. And I go, you're crazy. Oh, my gosh. And I attack them, right, uh, with with uh, an attempt to overwhelm them with all the reasons why they're wrong. And here's the scripture verses and yada, 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 right? And none of that's bad. But if I don't do it with charity, 
it kind of is, <laughs> you know, I kind of, I kind of don't really, well, seek to win my brother or as Paul says it to Timothy with, with teaching and patience, right? Careful instruction. So, so what are your thoughts about that guys? And if you don't want to get on that, that cart, I'll be, I'll stand alone on it and, and, and let my, my flag well, stand there, I, but go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I think, I'm sorry. I was going to say, I think this is exactly what I was getting at with the individual application of of law and gospel, right? And, and knowing exactly what's going on, because Peter's talking to an ignorance here, not someone who is actively denying a doctrine, mm-hmm. knowing what they're they're doing. And so there's a time to say, in confronting someone with an inconsistency, you brood of vipers, yeah. who told you to flee from the coming <laughs> wrath. And there's a time to simply do um, the, the Mark 10, uh, Jesus, all of these things I've kept since I was a boy, right, of, of the rich ruler. And Jesus looking at him, I love Mark's detail here. Loved him, not re- not letting him remain in his air, and simply said, "You lack one thing. Mm-hmm. Sell everything that you have and give it to the poor." I think there's there's a, a measure of which we must be aware of how we apply the law and the gospel to an individual. Yeah, but it goes back to the individual price. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, it requires it requires a lot of wisdom, um, you know, because you can you can easily abuse this on on both sides. Uh, you know, First Corinthians 13 is very helpful in uh, in understanding all of the attributes of love. That love is love is deceived. It's it's willing to be deceived. That is, it believes all things. It hopes all things. It's optimistic. Um, it uh, and but why? Because it doesn't re- it doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but instead it rejoices in the truth. And when you have the truth. When you've learned your catechism and you continue to grow in your knowledge of the scriptures and you know the comforts of your baptism and of the Lord's Supper, um, the body and blood of Jesus, um, that we're justified by faith in Christ alone and not by our works, and you know these things, um, then they become a, a source of joy for you. And, uh, and so when you come across those who, who don't believe these things, or don't understand these things. I don't think it's a bad thing at all. Just as you you said, you know, I don't I don't think I, I agree. I don't think it's bad to have the initial reaction. Like, what? You know, like it should be crazy. It should be uh, absolutely nuts that someone wouldn't believe what Jesus plainly says. <laughs> but on the other hand, um, that shouldn't that that uh, wonder at at uh, the, at what at, at the devil's deceit. Uh, uh, you know, th- th- that uh, to be flabbergasted at that should not also mean that we are uncharitable and that we um, and that we despair. Um, and, th- and I think that's where it comes down to is that, 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 you know, if we are uncharitable, it's because we're relying on ourselves. We're relying on our own zeal, our own anger um, that some, the, of, of, of falsehood. But the anger of man never produced the righteousness of God. Exactly. We should leave it to God and let it be a zeal that is grounded in the truth. And if that's the case, then we're going to find that God actually gives us, if God's giving us the truth, he's also going to give us patience. And, and that patience is, is grounded in a, a confidence that the truth is going to prevail. As if, you know, if we get super mad at, at, at someone for, for misunderstanding a piece of doctrine, is it because we ourselves are, are, are not so confident about the fact that the, the doctrine actually will prevail, if it is the truth after all? But if we know that it's true, and if we know that the truth will win hmm. in the end, um, then we don't need to get so 
upset about talking about this stuff. We can speak with confidence and joy. I, I believe it was uh, our, our mutual friend, Brian Wolfmuller, who talks about the, the sin of crisis, which is, mm-hmm. is to uh, assume that this bad thing that's happening is going to overthrow the church if we don't do something mm-hmm. about it, right? And it's not that we shouldn't do something about it. We should. It's putting more trust in ourselves and our ability to do something so that we let our wrath be the thing that we send out rather than the word. We'll be right back. This week on Issues Etc., we will discuss a New Jersey Lutheran church celebrating the transition of its pastor from woman to man with Dr. Carl Truman. We'll get an introduction to the Book of Ruth with Pastor Brian Wolfmiller, and we'll continue our series with Pastor Jonathan Fisk on raising Christian children in an age of progressivism. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. This week on The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, we'll learn what's new at the Old Latin School in Germany, meet the young poets of Word of Life Lutheran School in St. Louis, we'll travel around the world with music and catch up with Pastor Worth to review an upcoming nature film. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah, weekdays at 9 a.m. on KFUO, underwritten by Concordia University, Wisconsin. Les Miserables by Victor Hugo in 1862 is considered one of the greatest novels of the 19th century. The Broadway musical adaptation in 1987 won eight Tony Awards, and the movie in 2013 garnered three Academy Awards. Victor Hugo often alluded to Jesus and Paul in his writings. In his book entitled William Shakespeare, he highlights examples of great men referencing Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus from Acts 9. The road to Damascus shall be forever the root of great minds. It shall also be the root of nations. For nations, those vast individualisms have their crisis and their hours. Paul, after his august fall, arose again. Engage with the Bible, its impact in every sphere. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Listen to Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO and read the dose of Worldview Demolition. Knocking down all those bad opinions that come straight out of your heart. Believe me, I got them too. And setting up shop with the mighty fortress of our Lord's Word. We're dealing with the felicitous inconsistency in Francis Pieper's Christian dogmatics. The happy reality that our errors don't necessarily undo all of our theology in a moment, which is not a reason to allow the error or to love the error, but it is a reason to rejoice and be patient with each other as we grow in our knowledge of the truth. The last part of this long paragraph, it's on page 88, continues to show this example from Luther's life, not in terms of him talking about others, but him talking about himself. It says, and an honest Luther confesses to the same inconsistency. 20 years before, he had taught that faith alone justifies without works, and nevertheless, at the same time, he had clung to monkery and nunnery. And now he quotes him here. Thoughtless fool that I was, I could not see the consequence, which I ought to have admitted. That is, that if faith alone does it, Monkery and mass could not do it. By the way, monkery, he's talking about vows to live a certain way to earn grace, right? Uh, Now, Pieper continues, synergism, the teaching that man's 
that man possesses a, a faculty that can be applied to grace, right? An ability to grab grace with his own, with yourself somehow. Synergism confirms man, as Luther points out, in his own trust, in his own ability, in the matter of obtaining salvation, and thus rules out the Christian faith in the remission of sins without the deeds of the law. But at the same time, Luther grants the possibility of a, quote, felicitous inconsistency in the case of individuals. In theory, in their writings and disputations, they hold that man still possesses some spiritual powers. But in practice, whenever they deal with God, when they stand before him in prayer, they completely forget their free will, despair of themselves, and cry unto him for pure grace only. Later, Lutheran theologians have made similar statements. So Husselman says that not every false doctrine, which by its nature is destructive of the foundation of the faith, has this effect to the case of every erring individual. The felicitous inconsistency may prevent that. It makes me think of one of my, my absolute favorite hymns, the, the tune's a little rough, and so it doesn't always get sung enough, but uh, it is, it's a, by a guy named Thomas Aquinas, and he is uh, kind of the, the, the par excellence Roman Catholic uh, from the Middle Ages. He, he compiled all Roman Catholic dog, dogma, and he was pretty clear on the whole uh, works are part of salvation, all this kind of stuff. And yet in his, in his hymn about the Lord's Supper and, and the great mystery of impossibility that Jesus has himself in his own hand as a piece of bread, word made flesh, the bread he baketh by his word, his flesh to be. It was just amazing, but it all gets down to this phrase, faith alone, the true heart waketh to behold the mystery. Faith alone? Thomas Aquinas is singing a song about faith alone, justifying at the Lord's Supper? What's going on? The felicitous inconsistency, that's what's going on. In practice, in practice, the ideas of man fall away and the word of God remains stronger than them both. Uh, Pastor Philippeck, your turn. What do you think? This is a perfect example of what I was saying about an individual earlier who has taught one thing in a church and yet upon hearing the word of the Lord, upon being confronted with the reality who is Christ, the way and the truth, actually comes in faith by the grace of God to understand those words, to believe them, and to cling to him alone. So he uses then in this next page another example, which we heard earlier, about those who talk about free will, right? And in the midst of free will and choice and the fact that, oh, I believe that there's something in me that has a propensity to believe and, and I can cooperate with, with God's work and earn his salvation in that way. At the end of days, you end up at the foot of the cross and everything that you have learned must yield to the truth. You must understand that you can bring nothing. You are nothing. And Christ is everything. And he feeds you, he gives you, he strengthens you, he forgives you, he is your life, he is your length of days. And that's the beauty of what he says here at the end of this felicitous inconsistency that you read, that they despair of themselves, completely forget free will, and what do they do? They cry out for God's pure grace in Jesus Christ alone. And these are recognized, like you said, on an individual case-by-case basis. Price? Yeah, and and uh, one one uh, distinction that we might also kind of build uh, upon this is uh, you know the distinction between you and the word. Um, you have the word; it's in your mouth and in your heart. You know, it's very near you. It's it's been given to you. You grow in it, but you are not the word. 
Um, you are orthodox, uh, that is, you have the right doctrine purely by God's grace. And when we, when we consider this, then, um, you know, we, we can see how you can compromise yourself. That's what love does. Um, love compromises itself, but the truth cannot be compromised. And so that's something where, um, you know, this felicitous inconsistency is not a way for us to, it's not a tool for us to, to use to try to control the outcome of everything and, and try to sort of, uh, to, so, so this isn't some, and, and, and this, this can be very deceitful uh, if, if, if you use these distinctions according to your own human reason. Uh, mm-hmm. You might think then that, that, oh, okay, well, this is my way then of not having to, uh, not having to address the elephants in the room when I go and hang out with my Baptist friends. I don't need to go. I don't need to bring up baptism. I can just, I can, we can study the Bible together and just agree to disagree and not talk about these things. Absolutely not. Um, what it, what it teaches you instead, rather, is to not be afraid. It's actually quite the opposite. It teaches you not to be afraid to bring up these elephants in the room. Um, because you don't have to bring them up with the assumption that your friends are going to totally deny it. You can, you can bring it up with the assumption that your friends believe God's Word, and that you can actually talk about what God's Word says. And um, and I think that this is a problem that a lot of us have, where we become afraid to address the, the, the issues that are controversial. Um, but, uh, but again, we, you know, we simply must rely on the Word and, uh, and not confuse ourselves with the Word. Yeah, this is about admonition to patience. This is a, this is Paul talking to the the Gentile converts in the Book of Romans, saying, "Don't look down on the even on the the fallen away Jews, right? Remember, it's it's from them that your faith came. So extend some grace to them. It doesn't mean tell them they're great and they're fine without Jesus, but it does temper the way you engage." the world. Now, there is the other side to this, and we'll just touch on this here with the last few minutes of a little bit of this next paragraph. This truth of patience, of grace, of, of love, being willing to be deceived, this truth has at times, not just times, excuse me, at all times, been abused in the interest of indifferent, yeah, I can say it right, indifferentism, right? Uh, in the interest of ignoring the truth, right? There are those who hold that because certain errors do not in every case cause the Christian to lose faith, these errors may be tolerated in the church. So, and we've touched on this already, but I want to make sure we just make it clear without getting angry and mean about it, yeah? Simply because I can acknowledge that the Baptist, who does not believe in baptismal regeneration, nonetheless is being saved by his or her baptism into Jesus Christ, doesn't mean that it wouldn't be better for them if they knew that and actually believed it in the way in which God has revealed it. Right? It is not as if the leaven left alone in the lump is not a threat to the entire lump. It is not as if the gangrene on the toe is going to stay on the toe if you just, yeah, it'll go away eventually. No, it's the other way around, right? And so certainly this is not an excuse for error. You just get about a, about a minute and a half, two minutes to hit this one. So, uh, Philippeck, you want to hit first? This is what we had just mentioned in, earlier in the discussion a few seconds ago, that while there's a felicitous inconsistency, the doctrines that are held actually are identified as destructive. Every false doctrine is destructive. And so 
what ends up happening is we rejoice in the truth, and we rejoice in the truth who is Christ. And when someone holds something contrary to what Christ himself taught and said, then we must speak, and we must speak in love. Not speak so that we're right and everyone can see our how correct our theology is and how we understand, not in an idolatrous way, but as in love to restore the brother who is inconsistent, who doesn't see these things, and to treat them in charity and love. And so you always have those two confessions, right? We confess who we are in the beginning of service. We are by nature sinful and clean. So we have a confession of who man is, and then we have a confession of who God is. And we have a responsibility to hold to that word of truth, and we cling and hold to that word of truth by God's grace alone. Bryce? While we while we maintain that there are Christians in or in denominations, we need to also remember that, um, you know, as, as we just heard, these doctrines, these false doctrines are destructive. And that does mean that there are Baptists who have made shipwreck of their faith because they don't believe in baptismal regeneration. Um, and, and this is so we should, so we should very much take that seriously. Um, that uh, there are Roman Catholics who uh, who have denied the faith because they trust in their works, and so these are very very serious errors. Um, and this is this is uh, not something for us to neglect. Um, this distinction is only there so that we may, while while at the same time maintaining the truth of the scriptures, also learn some charity. But we should never uh, uh, we should never underestimate. Um, or undermine the serious uh, gravity um, of these uh, doctrinal disputes. Hmm. Yeah, it made me think there a little bit. So the, the, the Baptists can make shipwreck of their faith when they believe consistently their Baptist doctrine. The, the Luther, excuse me, the Catholic has the same problem. The Lutheran can make shipwreck of faith, but not because you believe... The doctrine. The doctrine will never be the thing that shipwrecks your faith, because that's the Word of God. It's when you actually don't believe yeah, the doctrine that you're in trouble on that end. You've been listening to Pastor Andrew Preuss. He is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa, as well as Pastor Adam Filipek. He's pastor at both Holy Cross and Emmanuel Lutheran Churches in Lidgerwood, North Dakota, here on Cross Defense. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk. Thank you, gentlemen, for being with me today and helping me build up people's faith on the foundation that will never pass away, the Word of God. Don't let those strongholds have their way with you. Keep coming back to the Scriptures. Keep defending your faith with the truth of who Jesus is and and what he's done. Next week, Cross Defense is going to shift hands a little bit. You're going to have Pastor Brian Wolfmuller as host for a little while. I hope you do enjoy it. But the next time you hear me, which will be on Sharp Ryan tomorrow morning, I do encourage you to continue rocking on. You've been listening to Cross Defense, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. Or you can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO.